0: family members were arguing about what they should do, and one of the neighbors was like, well, what are they all arguing about? Johnny's coming home. Well, some think Johnny's coming home on the bus. Some thinks Johnny's going to rent a car and come home. Some thinks Johnny's coming home on the train. Some think we need to be at the airport waiting for Johnny, and then suddenly the doorbell rings and it's Johnny.
1: Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogi. Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church of Buford, South Carolina. We've reached the end of our study of the book of Revelation, and this week Dr. Brogy has been recapping the entire book. So if you want a thumbnail sketch of Revelation, we recommend listening to this particular message in its entirety. You can do that by using the Search the Scriptures app for smartphones and tablets, or on your computer's web browser, navigate to searchthescriptures.org. Now let's rejoin Dr. Brogy as he picks up his summary in Revelation 14, verse 20, which talks about the horrible amount of devastation that will take place in the time leading up to the Battle of Armageddon
0: there, if you've stood at Harmageddon, some of you have been there with me, and you can see the Jezreel Valley, and extends from end to end, it's 200 miles long, and there's going to be so many soldiers, and so much bloodshed, and the ground will be so soaked with blood, that as the horses run through it, the horse will splash all the way up to their bridles, and so God is using these angels, he's using these two witnesses, God doesn't typically use angels, in fact, he doesn't use them at all. During the church age to preach the gospel, he is using just those who have been saved by grace to preach grace. But during this time, because it's the final chapter in history, because God's heart bleeds for those who are lost, he's using even an angel to preach the eternal gospel. That brought us into chapter fifteen, where it serves as an introduction. It's the shortest chapter in the Revelation to chapter sixteen, and there we're introduced to the seven golden bowls of wrath also called seven plagues. Look at 15:1. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels who had seven plagues, which are the last, because in them the wrath of God is finished. It's the same verb, Teleo. Jesus shouted from the cross, "Telestai." That is it is finished, it's paid in full. But now using the same verb, the same author John reminds us the wrath of God that is on the earth during these seven years is finished with these seven bowls before it turns into the eternal wrath of God. And so these seven bowls, also called The plagues are described as the wrath of God. And then chapter 16 gives us the specific nature of these plagues as they are unfolded. And again, here's the relationship. And again, that's not by accident. Jesus likened the start of the tribulation to a woman in labor. We're not in birth pangs today. You got all these nuts on the internet saying this virus is what Jesus said. It's not what he said anymore when an earthquake happens next week or a tornado, that these are the birth pangs nothing could be further from the truth. It may indicate that there's a time of turmoil in the world and maybe that things are, the pregnancy is here, but the birth pangs do not begin, the scripture is clear, until after the church is removed. And so we saw the exact pattern in the Olivet Discourse as we see in the Revelation. And just like a woman in labor whose pangs get more intense and closer together, there's an intensity that increases. So the seal judgments affect a fourth of the earth. The trumpet judgments affect a third of the earth. We come to the bowl judgments and what does it do? It affects the entire earth. So again, seven seals and the seventh seal are seven trumpets and the seventh trumpets are the seven bowls of God's wrath. Here's a picture of the bowls of wrath. First sores, the sea of blood, blood waters, the sun, the darkness, the Euphrates. Again, a brief interlude of explanation and then the seventh bowl that affects the air. Look at the first bowl in verse two of chapter 16. God's wrath results in what? A loathsome and malignant sore on the people who had the mark of the beast and who worshiped his image. Again, I think this is God not wishing any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. He is just crying out to them. He is giving them a taste of the eternal physical suffering that will come to them lest they repent. And this plague would say, look at what happens to those who follow the Antichrist. They're plagued with sores that even the Antichrist can heal. And if there's one left that has not yet ascribed his allegiance to Antichrist, maybe he will during this time. Verse 3 tells us of the second bowl, resulting in the sea becoming, notice, blood like that of a dead man. And every living thing in the sea died. Look, billions of people every day received their sustenance from the sea but now millions will face starvation because everything that is in the sea will be dead verse 4 tells us the fourth bowl of the wrath of god that was poured out of his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water and what happened they became blood every source of fresh water, be it a lake, a river, a well, a spring, it is now turned to blood. The bottled water, if that's not affected, the stored water, will quickly be gone. And you cannot live but about a week without water. It tells you you are right at the end of the tribulation. Down in verse 8, the fourth bowl is poured out where the sun is so hot that it burns men with fire but instead of repenting we learn in verse 9 what do they do they blasphemed, mode they blaspheme the name of god in verse 10 we learn of the fifth bowl and we're told there then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and his kingdom became darkened and they gnawed their tongue because of pain And they blaspheme the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores. And they did not repent of their deeds, even though this effectively signals the death of the entire planet. Men keep blaspheming God. And they refuse to repent. That's how blind and callous they are. Verse 12, the sixth bowl of wrath, the sixth angel poured out his bowl in the great river, the Euphrates. And so we noted how critical the Middle East is to end times prophecy. That's why it's in the news every day. Why? Because God is going to unfold the final events in the Middle East. So here are the Euphrates. They're in the Middle East. And its water was dried up so that they would be prepared for the kings from the East. And this would certainly represent, you know, the kings of the Orient and all those Muslim countries. Most of the Muslims in the world are east of the Euphrates River. And they will come up this dry riverbed for the final war. But according to chapter 20, not only will they be there, all the nations of the world are going to go against Israel. Verse 13, and I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet three unclean spirits like frogs. Or we might say out of the lying mouth of Satan, out of the lying mouth of the Antichrist, out of the lying mouth of the false prophet, are these three demons like an unholy trinity that have come to deceive the world and they are gonna get the nations of the world to gather together there at this place called Armageddon. And if you have seen that place, Napoleon called it the best battle plane in the world. He said there was never a better place in the world to fight a battle. And of course, then the seventh bowl is poured out We're told of lightning, thunder, and then in verse 20, and every island fled away, and the mountains were not found, and huge hailstones, about 100 pounds each, came down from heaven upon men, and men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, because its plague was extremely severe. Listen, Revelation is not given to scare you. It's given to prepare you. It's given to help you to see every dimension of God's character. And God intends, with this judgment, to prepare the world for the Messiah. He's going to bring it back to that condition before the great flood. It's going to be leveled out. Remember, after the flood, the mountains rose, the valleys sunk. Then chapters 17 and 18, they're very important chapters. And they ask and answer two questions. Chapter 17 asks and answers, what about religion in the tribulation? And right off from the start, there'll be a false religion. That's what people do. They get religious when they get scared. And they will go to their little isms across the world from a place called Babylon. We saw Babylon is a code name for Rome. Just like Wall Street stands for New York, Babylon in Scripture stands for Rome. And so Rome will be the headquarters of this one world religion. It's called a harlot. Why? Because unlike the true church, the bride, it is prostituting the devil's ways through this system. And we read in verse 6, and I saw the woman, this harlot, this false church, drunk with the blood of the saints, with the blood of the witnesses of Jesus. When I saw her, I wondered greatly, And we learn in chapter 17 that the harlot rides the Antichrist. Why? Because the Antichrist is going to use religion for his purposes. And for the first three and a half years, he's going to allow all these religions of the world. And he's going to pull the world together through both a religious and an economic system. But then there will come a time when there will be no latitude. When he commits the abomination of desolation, he'll say, it's me and me only. And all other religions will be outlawed. And so verse 16 says, the beast, with the support of the 10 kings described, will hate the harlot, and will make her desolate and naked, and will eat her flesh, and will burn her with fire, the capital city, probably the Vatican itself, will be destroyed. Chapter 18 asks and answers another question what is going on politically and economically during the time of the tribulation. And so chapter 18 gives us the world conditions just before the final judgment. And it's the most complete picture of a worldwide government and economy that has ever been contrived by man. You look today, people are concerned with this virus, that the effect will be worldwide in terms of the economy. Why? Because the economies of the world are brought together. Well, nothing like In this coming day they will be one in every respect both in terms of government and in terms of economy and the kings of the earth will see the capital city of the antichrist go up in flames and all the presidents and all the prime ministers and all the kings and rulers in verse 10 will say whoa whoa the great city babylon the strong city for in one hour your judgment has come and every economy of the world will come crashing down. It is a sorrowful time. It is a sad time. But you do not have to be here for this time. Then chapter 19 opens with the four hallelujahs in, in verse 1. Verse 3, verse 4, verse 6. I have them all circled. In verse 6, we're given the source of the, this word hallelujah that literally means praise the Lord. Hallelujah. For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Handel brought that, of course, right into his Messiah. And it will be during this time of the great tribulation that Jesus will sit down for what's described here as the marriage supper of the Lamb. Then notice verses 11 to 16. And I saw heaven opened. And behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. From, that's us, by the way. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, and he treads the wine press of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And so this is describing the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the same title, by the way, given to the God the Father, who is coming back on his stallion, and we the church on our stallions will come back with him along with those tribulation saints who are already in heaven. And then in verse 17, and again, he's coming back to this place to put an end to Armageddon. We're told, then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried out with a loud voice, saying, all the birds which fly in heaven, come assemble for the great supper of God. What's the world doing? The world is being crushed, And so they think, let's go against God's Messiah and his people, Israel. And so they all gather together to go against Israel. And so God says, birds, come for a big supper so that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of commanders and the flesh of mighty men, and the flesh of horses, and of those who sit on them, and the flesh of all men, free men and slaves, the small and great. And I saw the beasts and the kings of the earth, that is the Antichrist, and his kings and their armies assembled to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. And what you find here in chapter 19 are two contrasting banquets There is the marriage supper of the Lamb that we'll be at, and then there is the great supper of God. And the one supper, it will be a scene of great joy, and the other supper will be a scene of great sorrow. Those who believe in Jesus will be at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Those who have followed the Antichrist will be the supper at another supper when the birds of the air will literally eat their flesh. We'll eat at the supper. They'll be eating at theirs. Verse 20 And the beast, the Antichrist, was seized, and with him the false prophet who performed the signs in his presence by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshiped his image. These two were thrown into the lake of fire, which burns with brimstone. And so Christ rides in the sky and with the word of his mouth, he defeats all the armies of the world. And the first two people to go into the lake of fire, who are there a thousand years later when Satan is cast in, They're there because it's forever. It's not annihilationism. Then in chapter 20, in verse 1, and I saw an angel coming from heaven, holding the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, that Satan, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over him so that he would not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were completed." After these things, he must be released for a short time. Then I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who'd been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus. Tribulation, saints. And because of the word of God and those who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received the mark on their forehead and on their hand, and they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So Satan, for a thousand years, is locked up in the abyss. But verse 7 says... When the thousand years are completed, Satan will be released from his prison. So during this thousand years, there'll be a time of unparalleled peace and righteousness and judgment. And any sin that takes place in that thousand years will not be because of the devil. Now, we're going to see that tribulation saints, we studied it. I say we're going to see. I hope you've seen it. They enter into the uh, millennial reign of the Messiah in their natural bodies, and they have children and grandchildren, and lifespans are protracted for a 1,000 years. Men's lives, the Scripture says, will be like an old tree. It'll be like the days of Noah. But then at the the end of the thousand years, out of this abyss, out of this prison, Satan will be released, and the children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren of tribulation saints, even with Jesus on the planet, who did not believe, will go against him in this final rebellion. Remember, we looked at six purposes for the millennium. One, to prove his promises to Israel, that God keeps his word. He's going to set up a kingdom for them. Secondly, to prove his initial intention for man, the millennial kingdom will reflect what God really wanted Adam to have before sin came into the world. He will keep during this time the promises he has made to the church He'll prove his promises to God the Son. He'll prove his answers to our prayer that we say, your kingdom be done on earth as it is in heaven. But among other things, as this passage draws out, he will prove how depraved man really is. Because when Satan is released, we're told in verse 8, he will come out to deceive the nations, which were in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together for the war. The number of them is like the sand of the seashore. And they came up on the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints in the beloved city. And fire came down from heaven and devoured them. This is not Armageddon. This is at the end of the thousand years. It's the third of three key battles we studied. And these people who did not believe in Jesus during the thousand years will gather under Satan's leadership, but Jesus will devour them in a second. He'll squash them, verse 10, and the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are also. Why? Because they're not annihilated. Remember, these are real people. The Antichrist is a real human being as is the false prophet empowered by the evil one. Yes, but real people, are they annihilated? No, they're still there a thousand years later. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And that brought us to the final judgment of all time. Verse 11, I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it from whose presence earth and heaven fled away and no place was found for them. And so God promises in verse 15, and if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Listen, if you are cast into the lake of fire that burns with brimstone, it will be no one's fault but your own. Because God has no intention to send people. In fact, God didn't originally create it for people. Jesus will say, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. And yes, it's eternal. The same word, Ionion, that's used to describe this place of judgment, is used to describe heaven and is used to describe God, who's eternal. Hell was never created for us. Then that brought us to chapters 21 and 22, where we spent the last 10 messages explaining this place called heaven, where every one of your loved ones that name the name of Jesus are this morning. And this place, of course, we saw is just the capital city of a brand new earth and universe that God is going to create. That's the broad context of our passage. (laughs) That brings us now into the immediate context. Here in chapter 22, We saw the final invitation in verse 17. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who wishes to take the water of life without cost. And then in verses 18 and 19, last time we saw the final warning. I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them. God will add to him the plagues which are written in this book. If anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the tree of life, showing they're lost and never saved, and from the holy city which are written in this book. Now, that brings us today to the final words. Now, remember, what's the theme of the Revelation? We studied it in the first chapter, Revelation 1-7. The theme of this book is Jesus is coming back. And this book ends precisely where it started And so in verse 20, he who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming quickly. This promise gives assurance to every persecuted Christian in the first century and every believer in every century to press on and to live pure, separated lives. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I'm coming quickly, to which John says, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. And listen, there's a desire in the heart of every regenerate born-again person to go home and to be with Jesus. And then this book closed with a magnificent word of grace, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. While we need grace to be saved, you are saved by grace through faith. You also need grace to sustain you each and every day. The grace of the Lord Jesus, and my brothers and sisters, that is the book of Revelation. Now, maybe maybe there are some minute details that I've covered in these three years that you don't agree with me on. And sometimes people poke at me out the door, oh, you said this, and i thought, like, oh. But I want to tell you something we all agree on. He is coming back." Now, let me remind you, you may differ on some of the minute things, but he is coming back. Johnny went off to war. They thought he was gone, and then they heard the good news that he survived, he was found, and he was coming home safe. The day of that long-awaited journey back, family members were arguing about what they should do, and One of the neighbors was, well, what are they all arguing about? Johnny's coming home. Well, some think Johnny's coming home on the bus. Some think Johnny's going to rent a car and come home. Some think Johnny's coming home on the train. Some think we need to be at the airport waiting for Johnny, and then suddenly the doorbell (laughs) rings and it's Johnny. Listen, I may not have perfectly exegeted this book, but the king is coming. The question is, is he coming for you? Just as real as I am standing in front of this pulpit this morning, will be his return from heaven. And if Jesus comes to catch up his church today, it will be eternally too late for some of you because of your rejection of the truth. The Bible is crystal clear during the tribulation period. You will believe a lie. Today is the day of salvation. You can't come to Christ when you want to come to Christ. Because you can't come to Christ on your own. You're dead in your trespasses and sins. But God loves you enough to convict you as he convicted me of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And if you will come today because tomorrow may be too late and the spirit who is spurring your heart today to call upon Jesus may stop tomorrow because of your insolence and your arrogance and your unwillingness to do what God says. Now, Holy Father, I thank you that you've allowed me to complete this book. I'm grateful for the things you've taught me and shown me in these last three years. Thank you for your word that is powerful and life-changing. And I pray today, Father, for someone who is listening to this message, maybe through the internet on one of our campuses or in this room, and they're not really sure that heaven is their home, they think they might go there. They want to, but they don't know. And your word teaches they don't know because they haven't yet come in true, genuine faith. Because you cannot lie. Your word says it's impossible for you to lie. Moses recorded, you are not like a man that you would ever lie. And you promise on the basis of what Jesus did that he paid in full the wrath we deserve, that if we will call on the resurrected Lord, that he will save us today. Thank you for the gift of God, which is eternal life. Help someone today to humble themselves and to say, Jesus, I am bankrupt. Your word says you did not come to save the righteous, but sinners, and I am a sinner. I can never do enough to earn heaven, for your demand is perfection. But I thank you that you died in my place, you were raised for me, and you promised that if I would call on your name, you would save me. So today, I say, Lord Jesus, save me. Father, there are so many in our world who are so wrought over some virus that only deals with physical life, and they have missed a bigger disease called sin that deals with eternal things. And some of us are more consumed about a virus than we are with the souls of men and women and boys and girls. And may we repent of such callousness, repent against such a lack of compassion. Help us to be the church, to be a viable witness that men will see our good works and bring glory to you who are in heaven. May you use us in this new week. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.
1: Well, that is our study of the Revelation. We hope you've had an opportunity to listen to every message. But if you have missed any or if you need to listen again to any particular section of this challenging book, you can always use the Search the Scriptures app to review this or any of Dr. Brogy's studies. And, of course, you can also visit searchthescriptures.org online for a complete listing of all of Dr. Brogy's messages. Search the Scriptures is heard on radio stations around the country and on the Internet around the world, and all our online resources are available at no cost thanks to the support of listeners like yourself. If you'd like to help underwrite this ministry, you can click the Give button on the Search the Scriptures app or at our website, searchthescriptures.org. You can also call 877 787 7478 and one of our volunteers will take your information. Thank you. Tomorrow we begin the first of a number of individual sermons before beginning a study in another book of the Bible. So join us then as we search the scriptures.